This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. One topic that makes a lot of people uncomfortable is funeral arrangements. But the process also has a surprising number of safeguards. If you give me a dollar, you give me $10,000. We had to register it with the state of West Virginia. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. A West Virginia National Guard unit responded to a fiery train derailment in Northeast Ohio Monday. Members of the 35th Civil Support Team based in St. Albans deployed to East Palestine, Ohio on Friday. A 150-car Norfolk Southern train derailed and caught fire. On Monday, officials drained several cars carrying vinyl chloride, a toxic and flammable chemical, and burned it. They did this to prevent the cars from exploding, which could have put the public at greater risk. Nearby residents on both sides of the Ohio-Pennsylvania border were ordered to evacuate. The West Virginia National Guard team specializes in events involving hazardous materials. Last week, the House of Delegates approved House Bill 2007. The bill would limit gender-affirming medical care for anyone under 18. During two committee hearings on the bill, lawmakers called no expert witnesses. Curtis Tate spoke with Dr. Casey Kidd of the WVU School of Medicine about what gender-affirming care for minors is and is not. What should people understand about gender-affirming care for minors? I think it's important to recognize that adolescent gender-affirming care is many things. It is family support, it's assistance navigating school and relationships, uh, it's help with individual and family therapy, mental health therapy. And after puberty has begun, there is also consideration for medication therapy. And I think a lot of the conversation regarding this bill was about surgeries It's really important to note that no surgical interventions happen for gender-affirming purposes for minors in West Virginia. And to my knowledge, there is no plan to begin offering those surgeries. And so that's one piece that was inaccurate in a lot of the conversation that was happening. One of the medication interventions that is considered only after puberty begins is something called a puberty blocker. And there's a a longer medical name for that medication. It's a gonadotropin-releasing hormone agonist, but we call them puberty blockers because that's much simpler. Uh, But those medications are fully reversible. And so there is no long-term harm from use of those medications. And they really just act as a pause button on puberty that allows young people and their families to work together to determine the best route forward. And that could include stopping the medication and resuming their body's puberty, or they could start hormonal therapy in the future. And there are some aspects of hormonal therapy that are harder to reverse, uh, but those are things that are really careful considerations and discussions and plans between parents and their young people and their doctors. Can puberty blockers and hormone treatments cause infertility? 
It's an important consideration too. And we know that there's a whole lot of folks who have been on these medications for many years and go on to have biological children. But just with many other medical interventions, there is a potential risk and it's hard to promise or predict with certainty how anybody's fertility journey was going to go in the future. And so we talk about fertility preservation as an additional component to this, just as we would with any other medication that has that potential side effect. What is detransitioning? How common is it? The research on this suggests that it is very rare, uh, estimated to be around 2% or less of folks who pursue medical or surgical transition care or gender-affirming care. And the important bit here is that when you ask folks why, uh, why they they pursued detransition or retransition, 98% of people shared that it was due to an external factor like discrimination, the kind of discrimination that is perpetuated by legislation like this. What are the reasons someone would detransition? When researchers ask folks who are in that that 2% category uh, who have detransitioned or retransitioned, why, you know, the reasons for that decision, the vast majority, 98% of folks say that it is for reasons like discrimination, that it is very challenging to exist in a world that doesn't see you or think that, that you should be there or that you are worthy. And all of those things are, are certainly very harmful to people. Some of the supporters of HB 2007 refer to gender confirmation surgery as mutilation. Is there anything accurate about that? Absolutely not. Uh, as I said, there are no surgical procedures uh, offered for gender affirming purposes to minors in West Virginia. Uh, and so certainly I would disagree with the word being used in this context. What's the most likely impact you can foresee if this bill becomes law? I'm very concerned that the loss of access to this care or even the potential loss of access to this care will worsen the mental health inequities faced by this population. And we know that gender affirming care, specifically puberty blockers and hormone therapy, the exact interventions that this potential law would would ban are associated with a 73% lower odds of suicidality among transgender adolescents. And so removing that that access to care has real potential for harm here in West Virginia. What happens if you can't start gender-affirming treatment until a young person turns 18? A big concern here is the significant mental health inequity that transgender adolescents face compared to their cisgender peers. And we worry that lack of access to care could result in worsening mental health inequity, including increased depression, suicidality, and suicide attempt. And so for some young people, care at 18 may come too late. What will happen to families who need gender-affirming care if the bill becomes law? They would have to leave our state, unfortunately. And and I've had families tell me, you know, if this kind of legislation passes, they will be leaving our state because parents and, and families of these young people recognize how important it is for them to be able to access this care. And I think we will lose many, many young families as a result. Providers of gender-affirming care in other states have been harassed and received threats. Is that happening in West Virginia? Where is it coming from? Yes. Um, So I I think nearly all of us at this point actually have received some level of threat, targeting, or harassment uh, from various various directions, including social media, uh, calls to clinics, uh, things of that nature. and, And that has been frightening. It seems that there are a lot of folks online that that kind of gather and disseminate information about folks providing evidence-based gender-affirming care uh, and, and has made us targets. That was Curtis Tate speaking with Dr. Casey Kidd of the WVU School of Medicine about gender-affirming health care for minors.
This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 751. A chance of rain early with gradual clearing today. High temperatures in the 40s and 50s. A chance of rain tonight with lows in the 40s. Breezy tomorrow with a chance of rain. Highs in the 50s and low 60s. Chance of rain tomorrow night with gusty wind. Lows in the 30s and 40s. And partly cloudy Friday with highs in the 40s and 50s. Support for WVPB is provided by Sinesta Suites in Charleston, an extended stay hotel located near the airport, downtown, and state capitol. More at Sinesta.com. Discussing funeral arrangements is never easy, but as Eric Douglas found out through personal experience with his mom, it is much easier to do it in advance, and it is after a loved one has passed away. As part of a series, Getting Into Their Reality, Caring for Aging Parents, Douglas spoke with Tom Nichols, the owner of Bartlett Nichols Funeral Home in St. Albans, to understand the process. What's what's the process? What do you need to do? What do you need to do? What are the options? I guess when you come in, we'll uh, we'll ask what you what type of arrangements you'd like to arrange for, whether it be burial or cremation or you know whatever else you may have in mind, and you let us know. Then at that time, you know we'll get information. Then we'll show you pricing depending on what we're doing. Say we're doing a burial, we'll go over a general price list, show you our charges. Then we'll uh, go over caskets. And then a vault if you need a vault cemetery, and so then we'll we'll uh, go into the selection room where caskets are. We'll show you what's available, and then you let us know which one you'd like to use. Then we'll come back and uh, talk about a vault if you are burying in a cemetery. It requires a vault. But then once we get that type of thing all done, and we get figures and things, depending on how you want to pay, there's two options on how you want to trust. Money, you can either trust it or put an insurance. Some funeral homes use insurance to put your mom and dad's money into, and most generally, a lot of people use a trust account. If you give me a dollar, you give me $10,000, we had to register it with the state of West Virginia. I, I think that was the thing that, that astounded me the most or interested me the most was, I guess, I guess kind of in the back of your head, some people will worry, you know, how do I know the money is going to be there when I, you yes. know, if I, if it's five years from now? 10 years from now, whatever. But yeah, yeah, this is all secured. The funds are secured and there's a whole yes. trust uh, or there's a whole system in, in place for that. Yes, there is. Like uh instance, like if you do trust, uh, once we put your money in that trust, it's locked and it's secure, can't be used until time of death. Then we are allowed to use that money. We have to register those monies with the attorney general and they oversee your monies to make sure we're doing the proper and correct thing. Uh, not trying to use the consumers who they're looking out for. That was the part that interested me the most. I mean, I, I actually got a letter just a month or so later from the attorney general's office saying, you know, this yes. money is secured and, and, and we got it. I, I had no that's, idea that was a, that was a thing. Yes. That's what they do. Once, once, you know, we register, then you do get a letter. Like I said, it can be two weeks to four weeks on average. Uh, you will get a letter from the attorney general stating that, 
dear Mr. Douglas, we see you purchased a pre-need funeral through whatever funeral home you know you selected. And that just tells you we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, registering it. And then when something, when death occurs, then it's what we call, we got to do a death report. And we also got to send to the attorney general. With, if the money was in there for five years and it drew interest, we had to show them what interest it grew and if there's a refund coming back to you or, or not. Just because money's in the account, we don't we can't keep all of it because uh, the interest is what goes with the inflation of our business. And if there's more monies than what you paid or what the, today's price is, then uh, we have to refund it back to the estate. If the price has gone up and it's more than what I put in there, then the funeral home eats that charge. Okay, uh, you don't pay the difference or anything because you paid it in full like five years ago, like you purchased. Right, and then we we take the chance on taking that loss at the interest and things, which this day in market, it very seldom keeps up. Uh, what's what's the what's the average? I mean, is it five years? Is it people coming in thirty years in advance? What what's kind of the average of people coming in to pay for? Majority is older people. But we have, we do have, you know, the middle age and a few young ones that's been come in just to take care of things themselves. Uh, so they're prepared and so their mom and dad or something don't have to worry about it. They can take care of it. And, and I, I don't even know that I'd considered it until afterwards, after, after when I went through this process with my own mom. Um, it was a relief afterwards. It was a, you know what? All that's done. It's all paid for. I don't even have to think about it. I literally just that's, have to have to make a phone call and then show up. Yes, phone call, and then usually that's just when you will meet one more time to go over times and things of what day you want to try to set schedule and your services and things, and then, of course, coordinate with your minister and, and the cemetery and things like that. So Now, when, when I took Mom in, um, she ended up choosing some things I didn't imagine she would choose. Um, you know, I—, I, I <laughs> And and perfectly fine. I mean, it's not like she didn't, but it was just like, oh, I don't know that I would have thought to do that if she hadn't been there sure. to make those decisions. It helps. Because uh, uh, that way where you didn't know and she told you, you know that that's what she wanted and you don't have to second guess. There's or not a doubt in my mind. Uh, she got exactly what well, she wanted. What she wanted. And that's what makes it easy. She helped you and, and no regrets or anything. And uh that was Tom Nichols speaking with Eric Douglas about paying in advance for funerals for the radio series Get Into Getting Into Their Reality, Caring for Aging Parents. To read more of this interview or listen to the other stories in the series, visit our website at wvpublic.org. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, Randy Yoey, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.